tātou katoa, no mai whakarongo mai, welcome to One News Inside Parliament, I should say, not just Parliament. Uh, ko Lillian Hanley tōku ingoa, I'm Lillian Hanley, the One News political producer, and before we jump into things, I just want to acknowledge those who died in the shooting in Auckland yesterday morning, all eyes were on Aotearoa because of the beginning of the FIFA World Cup, and the day started with a really tragic event, so... Uh, mahi, uh, prior to that, uh, we also had uh, the government signalling a focus this week on law and order with some policy announcements, and we had a very exciting One News Varian poll. So with me to discuss all this are the silliest geese of New Zealand political reporting. Hey, <laughs> uh, I'm political editor Jessica Much Mackay. Kia ora, I'm Mikey Sherman. Digital political reporter Felix Demaray. Let's uh, start off with the shooting yesterday where two people have been killed at a construction site in the Auckland CBD by a gunman who also died. It's not been made clear yet whether he killed himself or was killed by police. Uh, this unfolded around 7.30 or 8 o'clock in the morning yesterday and a lot of our breakfast team were out and about in the city for coverage of the opening of the FIFA World Cup. Everyone was rolling into work as it happened. Uh, some of us, we were at Parliament. Mikey, uh, would you like to share with us how that morning started in terms of what our role is as the political reporters in the building, despite the story actually happening in Auckland at the time? Uh, we had sort of some calls being made to attempt to figure out what was going on. Prime Minister Hipkins was due to be making an announcement in Hamilton at the time and turned back. How did this play out yesterday? Yeah, so um, you're right in terms of the Prime Minister being at the airport, seeing what was unfolding. He was trying to get as much information um, as he could at the airport and then he said he made the decision actually to come back to Parliament so that he could be briefed properly and provide an, an immediate um, update, if you like, a few hours after the incident began unfolding. Um, and, you know, as political reporters, we're kind of um, at the, the hub of the political side and the kind of prime ministerial kind of response side to things. We had our amazing um, team in Auckland down there on the ground within kind of minutes of it unfolding. Barbara Drever just leading it out like the pro that she is. Um, and also kind of just wanting to acknowledge, you know, how risky that can be um, for journalists and for anyone who is sort of on the ground near the event um, as the situation kind of remains unknown and you don't really know what you're walking into. And that, that was something that the Prime Minister um, also acknowledged in terms of the brave police men and women um, who kind of went into the building, um, you know, and, and kind of not really knowing what was kind of waiting on the other side of the door. So, um, you know, the political, I think from the political perspective, um, really quick kind of... Um, uh, comms, if you like, or you know, an, an address by the Prime Minister is important in, in a few ways. Um, but the main thing being assurance to the public, because I think you know, as we saw there, a lot of people sort of commuting into work um, at that time, and so a lot of confusion, a lot of worry. Um, and so to hear from the Prime Minister the most up-to-date details that he was able to provide is, is kind of reassuring to the public. I think the political aspect of this is really important in a situation like this because there's always that question, is this an ideological attack, is this terror-related? And I think for a lot of us, 
March 15 sprang to mind as soon as that news started filtering in and it took a couple of hours before that question was answered. We learned reasonably quickly that the gunman had had uh, died but we didn't know what was motivating and we didn't know how many had died and how many were injured and I think the Prime Minister coming out at 10.15 at that press conference saying it wasn't ideological or political, that um, there was no national security risk, that there was no change to our national security level. All of those things are really, really important for the Prime Minister to come out and to say quickly, now there was no um, imminent threat or danger, the police were not looking for other people. So it answers lots of questions about whether there was one gunman, whether there were multiple. I think for us in New Zealand, I don't know how you guys felt on as things played out yesterday, but it feels foreign to me. Uh, and I felt, I think, you know, it, when you're watching it perhaps from afar, rather, you know, it was happening in Auckland and playing out, it does hit a little bit different when you're not in reporter mode on the ground because obviously very used to being in a professional capacity in that way, watching it, um, I did feel like it was quite a big thing that you go, oh, it sinks in a little bit for you and and just watching that was tough. And I think for the first time that Chris Ipkins has been Prime Minister, I saw him emotional. He was, it would be too far to say that he was crying, but in my interpretation of being in the same room as him, he looked as though he teared up when he was talking about the police going in and um, innocent people being there. So, you know, he's only been Prime Minister for six months, but we haven't seen that part of him. He His voice scored a couple of times. And, and his message was, we should be upset about this. And I tend to agree with him on that one. I yeah. think... Sorry, Sorry. I was just going to say that I think coming at it from a different different kind of perspective is that I, I wasn't as kind of shocked or surprised by what unfolded. Um, and that in itself is kind of sad, really. Um, but I think kind of after what we saw with March 15 and, and, and the um, frenzied knife attack in the supermarket as well, and, and even just looking overseas, I just feel like you know, that sort of brazen, serious violence is kind of, I don't know, we're seeing it more and more overseas. We've seen it a couple of times here in New Zealand and and even just, um, you know, the rise in violence. I wonder, like, how, how prevalent it's going to become. I Can I just add to that, to the very last point of that? I think that whole issue of feeling safe is what's going to hang around on this because, and that's where we pull it back to the politics, which is where uh, we are focusing. I think whether people or not feel safe, that will have an impact on it. The groups of people walking to their offices um, in the CBD, uh, people thinking twice, perhaps who are construction workers in, in Wellington or Christchurch or other parts of New Zealand. So I do think if you feel safe, uh, or if you do not feel safe, that has a is an implication on who you vote for th- and has political. Yeah, and I think the, the the kind of ram raids and the the you know how significant ram raids were and how brazen they were just kind of at, at all parts of the country, kind of just smashing into any sort of store or building and and just ripping you know ATMs away with tractors and things like that. Like we are just seeing a lot of that, um, and that's why I think I wasn't as shocked or surprised really. I yeah. think. Personally as well because I'm married to a police officer I feel like watching police being injured and we had that quite vivid 
image of the um, police officer covering their face and and walking out, and it wasn't an AOS member. It was a it was a frontline police officer by the looks of what they were wearing, and I guess I find that on a personal level, I can't help thinking about you know the family they leave behind. I, but I think it's really interesting because I think sometimes we're in work mode and it doesn't really hit you, or or that we've become slightly more accustomed to it. For me, yeah. that one did, and I, I'm not quite sure why but yeah it's always going to hit home particularly hard if you're you know a, a close family member or whatever to mm. a, a police officer in particular um i thought it was interesting what you're saying about you know that you know maybe new zealand's like slightly more innocent place i mean after march 15 and and these other uh, attacks like the um, new Lynn attack maybe these that it's changing but i do think it is still a comparatively uh, safer country, you know, definitely more than the United States or maybe the UK. Um, but you're right, that perception of safety is just as important as what is actually happening on the ground. And yeah, that will, it, as we move on through the year to the, towards the election, will have an effect on that stuff. But I thought it was interesting what you're saying about, um, uh, you know, whether New Zealand's a safe sort of country or not. Because um, Chris, Christopher Luxon, the leader of the National Party, said, uh, yesterday that um, he was sort of reflecting on that too. He said, um, this is, you know, when I heard the news, it's not something that I expect to hear in New Zealand. It's something that I heard a lot in, uh, of when I was living in America. So he was kind of touching on that as well. Um, and then I thought it was interesting too, uh, Mark Mitchell was there, the media stand-up in Auckland with Christopher Luxon. He is a former um, Defenders Squad member. Um, and he was reflecting on um, how of a complex... Um, situation that was where they had to isolate the offender and, you know, not get themselves uh, in strife but also protect the public and how bravely they went in there. Um, and a fascinating um, operation there to, um, as I understand it, some of the armed offenders came in through a helicopter from the top and some came from the bottom and that's how they isolated the offender, which is fascinating. Mm. And um, I mean, Mike Mitchell said he had no doubt that they saved lives and I tend to agree. Can I pick up, I guess this is also in terms of us, whether we, you know, not seeing this or this not necessarily being normal, but perhaps becoming more normal. I was really fascinated about uh, the coverage of it, right? Like in the sense of uh, from the outset, we were watching it literally play out on TV, mm. which I don't, I haven't experienced that here in, in a situation like that before. And it was very gripping in terms of kind of watching it and like you said pointing out Barb's work yesterday but also the, the even the camera right we had cameras all around that building kind of very very quickly and being able to sort of communicate at least what they could see as happening on the ground and something I found quite um I guess interesting and also linking to Hipkins being able to stand up very quickly in front of you know people and say this is what we do know and because he, he wasn't actually able to say a whole lot right he didn't have a whole lot of detail but he was able to rule out some some more serious concerns but there's a process too as we are working as we are reporting on trying to confirm information right on hearing whether they're unsubstantiated reports or whatever. We even had Wayne Brown going on TV and kind of referring to some reports as though, you know, that was information that was confirmed and then he was pushed on that and it wasn't actually confirmed. And so there's a lot of confusing information out there at, you know, all at the same time. I'm just, I'm, I'm curious on that in terms of the responsibility too of, of media throughout that process. 
you had any thoughts on that. I mean, it is always it, it always it is always tricky when it's such a, a fast moving, unfolding event, and you know you've got social media to kind of contend with because people who are either on the ground or who know someone who knows someone who are getting fed information, they're all publishing information online um, as though it's verbatim, and and so as uh, you know the media, we have to determine um, what we go with and when we go with it, and usually we have a sort of two source rule um, when it comes to our information we have to get it verified twice before we feel confident to go with it and I think that's probably what keeps us safe and what's important because at a time like this you don't want to spread panic unnecessarily until you have the facts. And and those facts change I think as well you know the number of people injured um, changed over time so as more information comes in especially a live situation like that um, I think you're right. The other thing that I think is important from a political perspective on this is uh, the whole diplomatic part of it too because we've got all the teams here, international teams here for, for the FIFA World Cup. A lot of them were staying in the CBD and a lot of them were impacted by this active, this notice of this active shooter in Auckland. And what then has to happen is you're not only communicating with the public uh, through the media, you're also needing to communicate with all of those countries. So the embassies and the diplomats would have gone into overdrive having to um, communicate the, the, that this was a lone person, that their teams were now safe, that they can carry on with the game. So there was that overall of this as well, which added complexity to it too. And just... <laughs> Kind of seems a bit of a shame with the timing because of because of the attention that was on New Zealand. It it would be a tragedy at any point. Um, it it is something that gets extra attention from the world's media because of what what was happening last night that mm. opening game. Yeah, and the deputy mayor of Auckland, Desi Simpson, said that on breakfast this morning too. So. Coming back to the politics of it, because I think this is also the the kind of next part of the conversation, right? There'll be questions that need to be answered around how this happened and, and you know, whether there were failures on corrections, they're going to be doing an investigation, those sorts of things need to be answered, how we got this gun. Um, but I think in terms of where the politicians come into it, this is a conversation, right? Law and order has been an issue uh, over the past few months and we'll be going into the election and I thought, you know, we did have the, the ministerial statement in, in Parliament yesterday, so all the parties kind of talking about uh, what happened, but notably a sort of, and rightly so, a kind of sombre note, right, that's the first kind of move from politicians to condemn the violence, understand what happened, you know, what went wrong. So so what do you guys think will, will happen next now? What's the next part of the conversation? Well, aside from the, the shooting, which... Law and order was a major focus for the government this week, and they very actively came out. We had um, three days in a row of law and order announcements, um, two that didn't go particularly smoothly. Uh, they probably started to get it re- get their groove by the third day. They know that there's a gap there, and they know that they have to start campaigning on that, and we saw them do that this week. Uh, or try was, to do that. Or like try to do that, yeah. And, and you know, it was... There's no doubt that it was rushed. There were mistakes that were made. The first day was the announcement. The second day, um, not having much detail. And the third day, they probably is, is what they wanted the other two to be like. But it is interesting that there is that law and order debate. 
at the time where we have a, a big shooting like that where it where it raises questions and the questions probably are how the shooter was able to be um, on home detention and qualify for home detention um, and, and, you know, the process around that, um, probably more so even than the gun um, because of being a shotgun and the register being new, et cetera, et cetera. But those next week, I feel like, is when the politics is going to, you know, it always comes back to politics and I think that's what we're going to see that next week. Yeah, and it's a fine line for those opposition parties about when they exactly when they decide to go in hard on the government and hold the government to account for any potential possible policy failures that may have contributed to something like this. Um, and Christopher Luxon has had a go at this already um, with the cyclone. Um, he was he took quite a softly, softly approach with that too. And I think, um, you know, if you look back on that time, he kind of timed the criticism right. He didn't go in straight away and then he, you know, um, started to criticise the government, uh, you know, about, probably about a week after, I think you're about right, Jess, yeah. So we're going to hear a lot of that ramped up next week and ongoing. That would be, I, I would imagine that will be a theme for next week and that will be something that will be on Labor's mind as well, um, just reflecting on that, you know, and we've got 85 days to go. It feels like the campaign's only just starting, particularly for Labor, um, and I and I just think we're gonna they're gonna need some they're going to need to talk to that mm. a bit I would imagine. It was quite funny yesterday. Yesterday though, Christopher Luxon was at pains to say today is not the day. We're not going to talk about politics today. Mm. But by the way, we do have a suite of uh, law and order policies, but we're not going to talk about the politics today. Yes. So he yeah. couldn't help but get the little jab in and mention his policy uh, announcements. But um, yeah. I now, it was quite funny. we should touch on the One News Varian poll uh, of this week, 85 days to the election. The lay of the land is looking very tight. Yeah, really interesting poll this time round because on the numbers that we've got, National Act uh, gets 61, that's enough to form a government. On the other side, Labour, the Greens and Te Party Māori only can get up to 59. So not only can they not govern, but they would need three parties to govern. So that was really interesting. Not a particularly good party, uh, not a particularly good poll for either of the major parties. Labour dropped to, National dropped to. Labour uh, will be glad that they didn't drop more. It's been a troubled few weeks for them. National weren't able to capitalise on that. So that will be disappointing for them. What National will maybe take a little bit more heart from is the shrinking in the um, gap between the two Chris's and the preferred Prime Minister numbers. That's a fact too. But overall it's really interesting and I'm looking at doing a story um, on this over the next little while about some of those, not only the minor parties but also those minnow parties, is that real move away from the major national enact. And I think even anecdotally we he I'm hearing that more that that even voters who say, look, I've voted for um, Labour, but I'm not going to this time, or I've voted for National, but I'm not going to this time, and looking at their other options. And I think we're seeing that there's still 12% of people who don't know who they're, who they're going to vote for or refuse to say how they'll vote for, and that's the group that's to play for. And that number has been pretty steady throughout, our, throughout this year, uh, you know, 13, 12 uh, for the most of the time, and you'd be expecting to see that 
dropping away now, people feeling more sure about how they're going to vote. Do, and it's just, and they're just not. Do we tend to get, does that number drop closer to the election? Because there is normally a, a sort of a percentage of people that don't vote in the general election, right? So would that be a group that we just... Yeah, the number tends to shrink the closer you go because A, people are more engaged and B, they're more certain um, and perhaps have done a bit more research, things like that. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how that tracks this time. Is this the evolution of MMP we're seeing though? You know, is, um, it's only 1996 that it was brought in and people are sort of starting to go, oh, okay, I can vote for a minor party and it's not a, as they say, wasted vote, you know, and we don't have to give our vote to one of the major two major parties. The only trouble is, is that, that, and that's the whole interesting debate, if you vote for somebody who doesn't make it into Parliament, is it a wasted vote or not? Mm. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> but there Absolutely. is, that, that, and I agree with you, but there is that argument that, you know, you're, exercising, you're, your right you're exercising your right, so it's never truly wasted. But I do think that if, if getting closer to the election, some of those minnow parties are still getting around 1%, you do start to think that perhaps some of those minor parties that look like they've got more of a chance may start to pick up some of that support. Well, that's where the um, the discussion around STV voting, single transferable vote, which they have in Australia, comes in. But um, it's even more complicated than MMP, and that's mm. probably the major argument against STV. I guess it goes back to the the kind of um, there was that electoral review and, and the suggestion of kind of uh, reducing the threshold, right, and in terms of whether mm. we do need to start considering if there are more of these these smaller parties getting a little bit of the, the vote, maybe we have to bring it lower, especially if this track or the, the trend c- continues and the those two major ones polling so low, whether that does pick up or not, whether they're going to kind of stick around at that, that 30s area. And that might have a stronger argument for that if there is a bigger chunk of, of quote-unquote wasted vote this time for that. I, I tend to think that that 5% threshold um, makes for a well-oiled, well-funded um, party to get into parliament, which is what you need to be to get there. So I tend to think that the 5% um, is, a good, is a good threshold and a good cutoff to have, but I can see the arguments. Just the bef- before we wrap up, I thought maybe just throw to the the weekend ahead a little bit, Mikey. Quite a lot of uh, events happening uh, the Sunday, sort of campaigning, hitting the road. Yes, um, New Zealand First is launching its campaign as well as having its AGM this weekend in Auckland. It'll be interesting to catch up with old Winston Peters um, and see how the party is feeling ahead of the election um, it's going to be it's going to be pretty pretty tight for them I mean they they just can't they're sort of on three um, in our in our latest poll but you know they need five and I just don't know if they'll quite get there um, based on the numbers that we've seen so it could be quite crucial for them to win a seat and is Winston Peters going to contest a seat that's the question um, and even if he did contest it, what are, his, what are his chances of kind of winning? You know, he's kind of been in the back of people's minds for quite some, you know, for like three years now. And the other thing is, um, he has David Seymour to compete with. Whether they kind of agree that they are cutting each other's lunch and that they are both vying for the same voters or not, the the reality is that they do speak on a lot of the same topics with a lot of the same narrative and perspective. So, you know. Um, 
David Seymour's already in Parliament. What, why, why, you know, would voters want to to back Winston Peters? That's what he needs to convince them of, and kind of, you know, tell us what separates the two parties and what separates the two leaders as to why he should try to pick up some more of the vote. Um, so that'll be interesting to kind of go go to that, and then. Um, just a few kind of other things on the on the Sunday is the Green Party campaign launch as well, um, although we have heard lots from the Green Party um, in the last few weeks. And then we have the uh, the leader of the uh, opposition uh, launching his campaign for the uh, mighty seat of Botany. Um, so that should be fun. And um, speaking of David Seymour, he's uh, announcing um, something around... Um, foreign investment. I just want to note that um, the seat of botany is where I grew up, which is why I was in. Which is why I said the mighty home. botany I because I know I who the bosses are around here. Not, <laughs> not the launch of the campaign, just for anyone who is at all <laughs> the confused record. over that. Shall we jump into our, our pits and peaks, Felix? Yeah, well obviously this week the pit is the, the shooting. Um, nothing else could be the pit, pit for me than that. Um, and my peak um, was that it was my birthday and oh. um, Jessica Much Mackay bought me some cake that I shared with the office and that was really lovely. Yay. Um, I would say that the, um, and, and it's not really, a, not really a pit, but it's just an interesting point, I guess. But um, we had Kitty Tapu Allen and Michael Wood kind of back for the first time um, before the press gallery, before the public eye, really, um, this week. Uh, and they've kind of been welcomed back into the fold. Um, Minister Allen now resuming all of her duties and Michael Wood um, now essentially starting on a, on a sort of clean slate and able to kind of work his way back up um, and regain trust. Interestingly though, and this is where the pit is, you know, I kind of said to him, you know, do you need to earn back the trust of the people? And he said, no, I don't think so. Look, people in my electorate, they basically said, look, you've been a silly goose, um, quote unquote. Um, but, you know, that's pretty much what they and therefore he puts it down to. Uh, and, and I just think given the significance of his earned judgment, I think it's a bit more... You know, he needs to come with a bit more than just, oh, sorry for being a silly goose. Actually, mate, you know, it was a bit more serious than that. Um, maybe so that's what goes to the heart of that. it. That's how it happened, you know. Is that really well, I did I did ask him, Fano, because you heard me kind of throw the line er, ignorance or arrogance around the other week on the podcast. I said to him, "What? which was it? And he said, ignorance. Hmm. Um, Maybe we're just underestimating what an insult silly goose is. Maybe it means something much, much worse. It's like a Gen Z meme. I'm not. I'm not to know this because I'm a millennial. But that's why I was sort of surprised he said it. I agree, though, that it's. I feel. I feel like he's really taking it lightly, or at least putting it out there that he's taking it lightly. Whereas I'm like, surely you do the opposite and overly apologize and overly come to the table to try and show that you are. Yeah, and don't get me wrong, like he delivered a slick stand-up that day and he answered every question. He didn't break out in any kind of sweat whatsoever. It was like a it was like a it was a solid performance as far as those go. Um, and of course we'd expect nothing less because, you know, he's he's been a pretty solid minister up until late. But yeah, even even just on the performance of Kitty Tapu Allen as well, her stand-up seemed to um, be quite well received in in so much as you know she there wasn't many stumbles and that sort of thing and that's what you kind of got to look at when they have their first kind of um, you know coming back into into the um, you know the tira the ropu the the 
the group there, it's kind of like how they're going to handle that first pressure cooker moment, and I think they both did pretty solid. What we didn't have when we talked to, to Michael Wood at that, on that caucus run was the report um, that was done into the whole thing, and that when that came out later on in the afternoon, that was quite interesting to see how um, harsh that was looking at the whole situation when it said, you know, he hasn't handled it, uh, he didn't handle it very well and really could have done quite a few things better. So that was interesting that that came out. The trouble was with a report like that is he's not a minister anymore. And so you kind of get to the point where you're like, and what? He's been... You know, he doesn't have those portfolios. He's not in that power position. So it was it was interesting. And the thing is, I think, with that report, though, it didn't tell us anything we didn't already know. Mm. Like, he, he was it was a total botch-up. Like, it was a total mess, you know, and, and, yeah. and he was just, like, really, really bad. I'm like, yeah, okay, I we guess knew that. Geese can be pretty messy. Lol. Um, <laughs> the other, yeah, the other. So that was going to be they my notable be. thing, the report. Um, and my um, other point of interest this week was Labor's um, campaign launch in it for you. So there we go. Wait, That's, wait, is that your pit or your peak? I think it's just an interesting note. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so, do we know that Nationals is get New Zealand back on track? Back yeah, on back on. Track? I think it's back on track. Back on yeah, track. just Nationals back on track. Well. But I just feel like we're going to hear that. These phrases a lot. Yeah, I think the, the Greens have got one too, days. but I've already forgotten it. They're launching theirs on Sunday, apparently, but they have been saying it already, and I think it's something along the lines of the time is now. Ah. Oh, spoiler. Yeah. That's a bit like. Been been they've been using it. That James has been saying it's Norman Kirky, isn't it? It's time. It's already been said. Um, act is real change, right? And there was a yeah. newsroom article around that, the sort of implication of that statement being like, a national act government means that you know real change, not just kind of a national change. Oh, yeah, and Party Māoris yeah. is an Aotearoa whole, a New New Zealand. Huh. Yeah. What's our what's our um, slogan? We'll work on it next week, eh? We'll workshop it. One news number one. Well, that's not bad. <laughs> I mean, straight to the point. Quite obvious. The only <laughs> the only <True>. one. <laughs> yeah. Hashtag only one. number one. <laughs> no. We're well, number we'll one. All right, great podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to wrap it up there, I reckon. <laughs> this was One News Inside Parliament, your peek behind the scenes on the biggest political stories of the week inside Parliament. Head to onenews.co.nz for more insight and follow One News on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. One News Inside Parliament is available on all good and even average podcasting apps where you can also leave us a rating. To finish off, just a big thank you to our recording team solo today, Lisa. Hey, Tera Wiki, catch you all next week. <laughs>